Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John 4. John 4 is one of my most favorite passages in the entire Bible. And this morning, what I want us to see is, uh, if you're taking notes, you're going to see, um, I'm going to bring out eight truths about the gospel from John 4. And if you didn't bring a Bible, or maybe you bring a Bible, but it's not a hard copy, maybe it's electronic, if you have that Uversion app, um, looks like this, then you can just go down the bottom corner, bottom right corner, it says more, click on more, then it says events, and you click on that and our church will just come up and this whole outline and the scripture will be right there for you. And so, here we are, who's your one? Have you been praying? Have you been thinking about who's your one? John 4 is this incredible encounter where Jesus encounters this one, this one lady, uh, this woman at the well, Samaritan lady, from John chapter 4. And um, let me just pray as we walk through this passage together. Father, I pray that you, would, that you would speak through me, that I would communicate this incredible truth of the gospel to your sheep, to your people. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear from you this morning. May my words truly be yours. Lord, may we hear from you this morning. May we trust that your word is alive, it's active, it's transforming our lives. So may we see that unfold before us today. May we not push back when your Holy Spirit convicts us. May we, may we receive it willingly. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So the woman at the well, John 4. Um, the first gospel truth I want you to see is that the gospel destroys racism. The gospel destroys racism. Verse 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. The gospel destroys racism. Here's a, a beautiful picture. So if, I don't know if you have a map in the back of your Bible, but um, Jesus hung out mostly in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee. Between Galilee and Jerusalem, uh, you had this area called uh, Samaria. And um, going back to before Jesus walked on the earth, um, the enemies came in and conquered the northern tribes. So the Syrians came in and conquered the area that we would know as uh, Samaria. And so when they did that, they began to um, marry uh, Israelites. And so when this happened, you began to have Jews now not being fully Jews. They, were, uh, they had interracial children, and so they weren't pure Jews. Well, then the Jews because of their heritage, they had so much pride in their heritage, looked down upon the Samaritans. They treated them like less than humans. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't the same. They would call them half-breeds. They were really negative um, to, to the Samaritans. And in fact, they hated the Samaritans so much, they would just avoid them altogether. When they would come from like the West Bank and go to Galilee, they would just go around Samaria. Samaria was a direct line but they would go around Samaria because they just didn't want to deal with them. 
And I love that Jesus here, I love that in verse 4, it said that he had to pass through Samaria. I love that. Thinking Jesus, Jesus knows all these people. He created them. They have value. They have worth. And he says, I'm going right through them. I'm going right through this city, right to these people that the disciples would not want to be with. And I love that he just destroys racism. Uh, you've heard me say this many times when we talk about race that there's one race, and it's not the white race, it's the human race. God created us all equal, and shame on us when we start looking at skin colors to decide who has value and who doesn't. God created us all, He loves us, and, and I think our church should reflect that. I think a church should reflect the city. And so I love that we have different skin colors in this church, and I think the more the merrier. I think a church should reflect what the city should look like. The city should reflect what the kingdom's going to look like. And when we read the book of Revelation, we know that there's going to be nations bowing down, praising the Lord. And so we need to have as many nations, as many um, ethnic groups represented in the church that would be in a city. And so I love that Jesus destroys racism. We have to speak out against it. Um, it's an evil injustice in our day and age. And the church needs to rise up and speak out against hatred that God created us all equal, that he loves us. And so here I love that Jesus, he had to go. Something was in him um, that he just had to go through this city. Not only does the gospel destroy racism, the gospel destroys sexism. In verse 5, it says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into, into the city to buy food. All right, a couple observations I want to bring up. A couple of them uh, um, we're going to highlight a little bit later, but I just want you to be aware. It was the sixth hour, so it's about noon, okay? Um, and then also notice um, that Jesus was wearied. I just want you to think about that. Here, Jesus fully God, we see his humanity here. He, Jesus got tired. Um, that's why I think it's, it's so important that we that we hold to that he's fully God, fully man. His humanity helps us to understand um, how he can minister to us. You ever been tired? You ever been weary? Jesus is tired. Jesus is weary. Uh, he can relate to you. And that's why I, I, I love this, this doctrine um, uh, where Jesus is fully God, fully man. Um, other religions, uh, they just miss this, like, uh, no other God can relate to humanity like Jesus can because he became flesh. And so by becoming flesh, he can identify with us in our weakness. And so we hear he's tired, he's ministering. Now he's speaking to this lady, and it's, it's noon, and she's coming to draw water from a well. Now, again, in this culture, uh, you just did not treat women with the same respect that you would treat a man. Which is why I love the gospel story when Jesus is raised from the dead. Who's right there at the story? 
the two Marys, they're there. Uh, the, the two women are there, and they're excited, and I, I love that they are part of that witness, that God elevates them. He makes much of them, that, that He says, your word does matter. When, if, 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 if the disciples were writing that story, making it up, there's no way they would have used women in that story, because the woman's word in that day wouldn't have mattered. So they would have never thought, hey, let's use two women to validate Jesus' resurrection, because nobody would have believed two women. And so I love that the Bible highlights that. I think it makes the story even more true. And so here Jesus speaks to this woman. We know from last week, from the story of, um, of Jesus healing the lame man that they lowered through uh, the roof, that he understands thoughts. He knew this lady. In a sense, this was his one that he said, I know I have to go to Samaria because she's my one. I know that she is going to respond to me, and I'm going, I'm, I'm going after her. I'm seeking after her. And he encounters this lady, who we'll see in a minute, has a past. But I love that he, he, he doesn't go to like one of the town leaders, uh, who would have probably been a, 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 a guy, but he goes to this woman. I think it shows us, that God is breaking down that, that gender, that, that one um, sex gender is not higher than the other, it's not more valuable. And I, I think our country has done great work and stride to, to help us with this. I mean, to think that women couldn't vote at some point. Uh, and so this, the, I think the women's rights movement has been great for a lot of things, to create equality between men and women, um, there's still a lot of work to be done, and I think as the good work's being done, I think Satan likes to take any good work and swing it too far, and I think with the feminist movement, you see it swinging too far to where now the women who were, we were less than men, we want to be treated equal with, I think some have swung too far to now the women think that they're greater than the men. It's like we've made the same mistake. Does that make sense? And so we've got to make sure that we stay here. In the gospel, that the gospel does not elevate men over women or women over men, that we are created equal, that we have equal value and worth. Now, as we see from Scripture, that worth and value does not define roles, that we still see in roles in the home, uh, that there's leadership within the husband's role uh, and with elders in the church, but roles does not make uh, value and, and, and worth. Uh, we see that within the Godhead. Um, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal, but yet they have different roles. That doesn't make Jesus greater than the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit greater than the Father. And so those are important gospel truths here, that the gospel destroys sexism. Men, we have to stand up for our women. We have to protect them. We have to make sure that they are not being abused and mistreated because they are simply women. We have to stand up and, uh, against the hatred of sexism. That women are this beautiful creation. I love thinking about the creation. That God, like, you had like simple and then you see like more um, just like magnificent, this, this progression. And you think the culmination of it all was this creation of woman. I just love that just you get to elevate. And I think that's the role of a husband. You get to 
elevate your wife and just make much of her. You lift her up, that she's wonderful, and just magnify her. I think that's, that's, that's that role, but so often, like, we men have just pushed down and um, suppressed women, and, and that's not what God intends. So here Jesus sets an example that he goes right to a woman, a woman with a past. So you see, the gospel destroys racism. The gospel destroys sexism. The gospel satisfies the soul. Oh, I, I love that second song that we sang this morning. Um, that it's an older song, but the truths are still just so rich for me. Um, that there's, there's no one else. There's no one else but Jesus. And, and here's this truth, that the gospel satisfies the soul. Listen, your gender is not going to satisfy your soul, neither is your, your race. If you're clinging, like if you're hoping in those things, you're going to find satisfaction. It's not going to be there. Um, it's not going to be in a number of things, but let's, let's keep reading verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria. See, she gets it. She knows, like, there's no reason this guy should be talking to me. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And I just wonder, like Jesus at this moment, when she says, are you better than our father uh, Jacob? And he's like, yeah. Like, yes, I am, actually. But Jesus, he, you know, he always, he answers the real question. In verse 13, he says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. See, he didn't push back on her. He could have said, yes, I am, and got real defensive. You know, she may have got defensive, but he, he, he sticks to the heart. And so he, he, he gets to the heart. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I love this. Jesus, he's teaching her it's a spiritual lesson with a physical illustration. He's saying, listen, this water you get every day, you've got to come back and get more water. I've got something where you don't have to keep coming back. It's good enough one time. It's this living water I'll give you. It's sufficient. It satisfies you. And if some of you are tired and weary because you keep going back to a well that keeps bringing you back every day because it, it doesn't satisfy you. And man, for this room, that well is various. For some of you, it, it's going to be um, th things like um, the pleasures of this world. So things like um, uh, whether it's, it's success in a job, having the right uh, pay uh, is going to bring like satisfaction 
if I can just get to this level. For some of you, it's going to be like a career path, just having that title. For some of you, it's a family. If I just had a husband or if I just had a wife or this many children or these children that would uh, be obedient, then I would be satisfied. Or, or maybe if I got to this weight, I'm just trying to lose this weight. If I knew if I got to this number, then, then I would be satisfied. Or It's a number of things. I just had this, you know, a best friend, and I just need you to fill in the blank today. Some of you are going down a road, it just, you keep going back to this well, and it's just leaving you empty. Some of you, it's, the water might be drugs, it could be sexual temptations, pornography, and you just think, if I just get enough of this, I'm going to be satisfied. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy you. Only Jesus. He's the only thing that, that, that you can taste and be satisfied with. Everything else is going to lead you, keep coming back. It's going to be this emptiness. You've got to have a greater job, more this, more that. I mean, look at some of the most unhappiest people in this country. They're, they're the wealthiest, most famous, and they're just so unsatisfied. Because they're chasing after things. They're trying to drink from a well that isn't meant to bring satisfaction. What are you drinking from today? Are you drinking from this well that brings eternal life? Are you drinking from the well of this world that's just going to lead to destruction and, 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 and chaos and emptiness? Turn to Jesus. And I, I, love, I love that, that Jesus looks at this Samaritan, strike one, a woman, strike two, who has a past, strike three. And the gospel is greater than all those things. The gospel is greater than her past. And he looks at her and he invites her to be a part of something that... Um, that where the disciples may have not have invited her to be a part of because she didn't look a certain way, um, she didn't act a certain way, but Jesus went right to her and said, you're exactly who I'm looking for. Someone who is lowly to this world, I'm going to make much of. And so look here, the gospel is greater than your past. It's greater than her past. It's greater than your past. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now, you know, it, it seems like from her account, she's never met Jesus before. But Jesus knew her. He said, go call your husband and, and come here. So he's playing at this point. He's just having this dialogue with her. And the woman answered him, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For he, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She might be second-guessing about the statement about him being greater than Jacob. And so she perceives that this man is different because she's never met this man, and now he's saying things about her life that no one would know except people who knew her intimately. And she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, 
but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. He invites this woman to be a part of this incredible story, and she has a troubled past. She's been married five times, and the guy she's with now is not her husband. So she's been with six men. All right. Now, divorce is something, sadly, that's common, too common in our culture. And I understand, my, I come from a divorced family, that maybe after you get married young, you have a divorce, uh, maybe you look and you think, well, it was my, it was my ex-spouse, you know, it's their, it's their problem. And so maybe you run into another marriage, you're in marriage number two now, and uh, things are going well, but after a while it falls apart too. And maybe you start to go, well, I just, man, I was just two stupid mistakes. Somewhere, I think, in the third, fourth, or fifth marriage, you hold the mirror up to yourself, right? All right? And that you start thinking, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it's my problem. Maybe I'm kind of hard to live with. She's been through five marriages, and now she's with another guy. Maybe she's given up on marriage, and she's just um, cohabitation. She's living with this guy, and Jesus comes to her. When I think the church would look at her and say, you're damaged, you can't be used because you're past, and maybe not minister to you. And so here, here's, I want you to see this. No matter what you've done in your past, the gospel is greater than your situation. You cannot out the grace of God. The moment you think you're sin, and I, I hear this so many times people will say, and I, I hear this when I, I'm coaching baseball and around just people who are kind of churched, and they'll say things like, I just need to get my life right first, or I've done some things, like I just don't know if God will take me. The moment you say things like, my past is too great, or I've done some things where God won't receive me, what you're saying is your sin is greater, bigger than God. That God is somehow smaller and underneath your sin. And God is Lord over all. So there is no past that is too great. There is no past that God cannot forgive. So that, that's why we have to keep praying. That's why we keep sharing the gospel. And maybe at some point in this story, if this was today, we, after marriage two or three, we'd say, well, she's long gone. I, I was going to put her as my one, but, man, she just doesn't get it. And so I'm just not going to pray for her. The gospel comes to us at different times. And for whatever reason, the Lord allow this situation to continue to where it hit her in the right moment. That's what we have to remember. I made a lot of mistakes in my past. I have mistakes that sin in my life that I regret. And sometimes I wonder, like, Lord, like, why did you allow me to go through all that? Why couldn't you have saved me as a child? And I just have to trust that he, he, I wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for my past. 
that somehow he's using my past to help me to minister to people with the same past that I had. And so he allows us to go down a road that, um, that is not always easy. And here, this is, a, this is a hard road. Five husbands, she's now with another guy. And, and so I think for those of you, I know we have um, people in our congregation who have been divorced. I want to say to you, divorced, you have not committed the unforgivable sin, okay? But also don't want to stand up and minimize divorce. Now, marriage is this incredible um, institution that God gave us to represent His love for His bride. And we need to fight for our marriages. That we can't just quit. This lady quit. She shouldn't have quit. We have to fight for the marriage that we're in. And so, whatever your past looks like, when the authority of the Word of God, God can still use you. God can come into your life and still use you a part of His story. Um, and so this is, leads us to the next point, that the gospel demands a response. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. When He comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why, do, why are you talking with her? I love how they come, they come in, they enter back into the story, the disciples enter into the story right at the climax. Jesus says, I am he. You're looking for something? Right here is what you're looking for. And you can imagine like her facial expression just jaw drops and she probably has a thousand questions and like someone comes in the room. It's like someone tells you maybe like for the first time like they never told anybody that they're pregnant. Like, hey, I'm pregnant. And then somebody walks in the room and you're like, man, like, uh, and like what's going on? Uh, nothing. And so here's like this moment Everything she's been waiting on, like, here's this truth. Disciples walk in, and it's like everything just shuts down. And she's got to respond. And, and that's what the gospel demands. It demands a response. And so maybe you've never heard the gospel today, but before today. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times. But every time you hear the gospel, every time it demands a response. It's not a one-time thing where you pray a prayer when you're a kid and then you're just done, every time you hear the gospel, there's a chance to respond. That's why I love doing the Lord's Supper. When we take communion, it demands a response that you have to look at the, at the elements, at, at his death, burial, and resurrection, what he's done for you, and it demands a response. Either, yes, Lord, I'm going to repent of my sin, 
Repent means to turn away from. I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to walk towards you. I'm going to trust that you died on the cross for my sins. And, and that demands a response today for those of you who are in Christ and for those of you who are not in Christ. That you, you just can't ignore it because Jesus says there's coming a day. And, and that phrase, there's coming a day, the New Testament authors often use that word, that phrase, the day. The day is coming. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to give um, a reason for the hope that's in us to others. We've got, we've got to be ready for when Jesus looks at us and says, what have you done with me? Who do you think I am? That you give a response. You are the Lord. You are the Christ. You are the one that's saving me from my sin. You're the one that's taking everything. So all the, all the things that you're chasing after, that you have your little bucket and you're trying to get from, you know, satisfaction from other things in this world, from, this, from, the, from these wells that we have in our life. Jesus says, you've got to repent of that. That's where the gospel is still for us today. Um, that there's things that we still need to repent of. I'm still repenting of my sin. And so here Jesus is saying, there's coming a day and the gospel demands that you do something with it. You just can't look at it and just ignore it. I, I have a friend, um, the guy that I'm praying for, he, he was an atheist at one point, And now he's moved from being an atheist to being an agnostic, um, which is a step, I think, in the right direction. But he just doesn't see the urgency to decide, like, how the gospel impacts his day. Uh, and, and I just pray that the Lord would break, break that. He just doesn't see how, how at the end of it all, he's going to be judged for his sins. He just thinks when it's, when it's all said and done, he's just going to die and just live in the ground forever, and there's not going to be any... His mental thoughts, his soul is going to be gone when his physical body dies. And he just thinks he'll just cease to exist. And I'm just praying, like, Lord, break his heart. Like, help him to see that there's more than just this physical world. That there's coming a day where we're going to worship God forever. And so the, the gospel demands a response. Then we see this incredible transition with this lady. The gospel informs her mission. So the, God, the gospel informs your mission. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me all that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? I, I, this is a fascinating, strange part of the dialogue here. They left, so they left Jesus to go get some food. He was hungry, thirsty. They left to get food. He comes back. And then now he, they bring food. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And they're like, why in the world did we go buy food? Where would you get this food from? And he's saying, I, listen. 
what you're going to give me, this bread or meat, it's going to give me, I'm going to be hungry again. But he's saying the same concept with the water, that he is, he is eating and, he, and, and, and it's going to be so satisfying. This goes back to Matthew 4, where there was this encounter with him and Satan, and, and he was hungry after 40 days of fasting. Satan said, turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus say to, to Satan? He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. And so Jesus is satisfied with something greater than than earthly food. And so, you, you see this lady, she has this new mission. She came with a jug of water, or a, a jar to get water, and she leaves it. And she goes back into the town. Now, understand, she's going back into a town who knew her. Jesus did not know her. Her town knew her. Now, go back to earlier. She came at the sixth hour of the day. That's, that's noon. This is going to be, this is not when you would go get water. Uh, women in this culture would be the ones who would go get water. And still, some of you have traveled, you've gone overseas. This is still very much the culture in a lot of countries where the women and the young girls will go get water every morning to drink and to, to clean and so this would always be done early in the morning. Think about it. Why? Because at noon, it's going to be so hot. You've got to carry that heavy jar of water. A lot of them do it on their head. Have you ever seen that? It's crazy. And you wouldn't go at noon, the hottest part of the day, to get water. When that sun's beating down on you, you would do that early. Why does she go at noon? Because she's an outcast. The women in the town probably didn't want to be with her because of her past. They didn't want her. And so she, would be, she was isolated, so she went by herself at noon to get water. And that day, her, her world just collided with Christ. Her world was changed forever. She met Jesus, and it changed everything. That's what Jesus does. When Jesus comes into your life, it changes everything. You can't keep living the same way that you want to live when you encounter a Jesus. Jesus comes into your life, he changes everything. It, he changes your worldview. And so her worldview changes. The water didn't matter anymore. What mattered was her going back and telling, and it wasn't even her friends, just the people that she knew about, maybe family. She leaves the jar that brought her there to go back to this community. The gospel informs your mission. It, it gives you purpose. And for her, it was to go and tell. And I love, like, just the Gideon's example this morning of just going. My goodness, if there's ever an example of somebody going, it's the Gideons. They, they go and they tell people about Jesus. Here she goes. She's She's on mission. It informs her life. Her worldview is now changed. You cannot encounter Jesus and keep living the way you're living. If you keep living the way that you're living, then you've never encountered Jesus. I'm just being honest. Every time someone encounters Jesus of the Bible, their lives are transformed. 
that you begin to desire the things of the Bible. And so this woman's life has changed. I would love to know, and this is the, the other Gospels don't have this story. This is, it's only found in John's Gospel. I would love to know more about, you know, just this man she's living with. I would love to know if they get married and, and she doesn't keep getting divorced. Like, she just, she gets it. It seems like that's the path she's on, but I would just love, that'd be so encouraging as I'm doing marriage counseling, just to have just this story here of this. But we're left with what we have, and the Lord thinks it's sufficient, so I'm going to trust that we have what He wants us to have. But the gospel demands um, a response. The gospel informs your mission. The gospel invites um, participation. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. So now he's, he's talking to his disciples. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for what you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have, in, you have entered into their labor. The gospel invites participation. That, that you play a, an important role uh, in getting the gospel message out. You're either a, a sower of the gospel, or you're reaping fruit from the gospel that someone else has sowed. And, and I just think about, Charlie, how, how many, you said 20-some, was it million Bibles into Mexico? Say that again? 46 million. And so we have friends who are missionaries in Mexico right now. I know that they are drinking from the wells that somebody dug years ago from that ministry. That... that you were praying probably for somebody that you might see come to Christ. And we actually got to hear of a story this week where a, a guy in this church has won, he's been praying for, that he actually got to lead him to Christ this week. And I know that as incredible that is, that fruit that we got to see, that somebody's probably, maybe his grandma's been praying for him. Or somebody's, maybe it was a vacation Bible school when he was eight. And a seed was planted years ago that took root um, this week, that began to grow. And so you're playing a role. The gospel invites participation. That we don't need anybody on the bench, okay? The bench is full, all right? We need people out in the harvest. Jesus says the harvest is, is ripe. That, that, I don't know if you caught this earlier, but he said that the Father is seeking true worshipers. The Father's going out. He's seeing the Holy Spirit is at work in the city. I truly believe that. That, that it's not just, it's just not left up to you. And I think that's why I mess up so often. I think it's just solely up to me. The gospel's not just up to you. The Holy Spirit is going he is doing his work. 
and Jesus is reaping the fruit. She obviously has some kind of religious background, right? She's talking about her father, the father Jacob. Like she's, she's at least knows the Old Testament stories. She gets, she, you know, she's kind of, in our culture, we'd say churched. She knows the stories. And Jesus just reaps that fruit that somebody else has taught her from years ago. That, that could be you, or you might be the one who sows. You may never see the fruit. But what his point is, is that it doesn't matter because we're a team. We just, we just need people who are active. We don't need any more on the bench. I think sometimes we think like we're at the Marshall game, and we're a fan. That we're in the stands, and we're, we're cheering on the herd. Go, herd, let's go. Come on. Defense. And I think sometimes in the church, we, we have that same idea. Come on, pastor. Go get them. Band. Come on. Staff. Go get them. But I love that you guys know that it's up to you. That the Great Commission is not just for me. It's, it's an us thing. That there are no fans when it comes to Christianity. We're all out on the field. We're all participating. Whether you're the center that no one notices unless it's a bad snap, or you're the quarterback who the spotlight's on you every time. You're all part of the team. Last point. Share the gospel. The gospel destroys racism. The gospel destroys sexism. The gospel satisfies the soul. The gospel is greater than your past. The gospel demands a response. The gospel informs your mission. The gospel invites participation. Share the gospel. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because she went back and got three circles training on how to share her faith. They, they believed because she went to a seminary and got a degree. They believed why? Because of her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Share the gospel. Share the good news of Jesus. Your testimony that Jesus died when you should have been the one who died because of your sin. Jesus died for you. That he rose from the dead to show us that God can overcome death and anything. That he exalted Jesus. And he just, she just went back and just shared her testimony. Guys, this is what this man did for me. And it said that many believed. And then when he came and shared, many more believed. Many more would have never believed if the many wouldn't have believed. The many wouldn't have believed if what? If she wouldn't have just told her testimony. She didn't get out the Bible. She didn't walk through the Romans road. There were no Romans roads yet. There were no evangelism training. 
She just told her testimony. One of the greatest things that you can do is just tell what Jesus has done for you. Just tell your story. That I used to be this, but Jesus came into my life. He changed me. I'm not who, who I used to be. I'm a different man. The things I used to love to do, now I don't want to do those things. And people see that change, and, and, they're, and like for them, they know her. They're like, wow, like she's different. And they, and they believed her testimony, but then it was validated by Jesus. Share the gospel. Be bold this week. Take risks. Don't be afraid. The gospel's going out before you. The Father's already out seeking for true worshipers. We don't know who those are, right? Let's be bold. Let's take risks. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what he's done in your life. Don't minimize your testimony. It's powerful. And some of you, I know you're pushing back and saying, yeah, but you've got like one of those testimonies where you kind of had this bad past and God saved you in college. My testimony is different what you're saying. I, I was saved at a young age. It's not powerful like yours. That's bull. I would, trade your te- I would trade testimonies with you in a heartbeat. Your testimony is so much more powerful than mine, in my opinion. Because I watch like, how you overcome all the temptations of the world through middle school and high school, and God held you so tightly, and, and you didn't just give in to the flesh like I did. It's so much easier to have my testimony. You're the one that has a stronger testimony, how God sustained you, during temptations, when, when people were making fun of you, I just gave in. You are a radical. Your testimony is powerful. Whatever it is, God can use you. God wants to use your past for his kingdom's sake. Let's share the gospel. Father, I pray I pray that we would be bold. Lord, I pray that just even as we keep singing this morning and celebrating who you are, that, that uh, these lyrics would just remind us of these gospel truths. That you have raised us from dead. That we were all dead in our sin. That we had terrible past. And you entered into our life at the right time. So Lord, may we be transformed by your gospel. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want you just to meditate on why. What's keeping you from trusting in Jesus, putting your faith in him, just as this lady did many years ago. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness, that we would trust that you are really um, a good father who are seeking out your children, that you go before us, that you go with us. 
that we are your ambassadors. Empower us, Lord, this morning. Give us a boldness this week at work, in our communities, where we live, work, and play. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As the band continues to sing, if, if you just want to pray with me, if you just have questions, I'll be in the back over here during this next song. Um, I would love to pray with you or answer any of your questions on how to follow Jesus or any way I could be praying. You just come back and we'll pray together.